Movie Boys. Oh, is that the intro? Yes. Oh, so this this wasn't going to be some overwrought, like, in the dark of night, the movie boys. You know, I don't know, some noir-esque. No, no. 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 Because uh, you I... sort of figured that if, 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 if the makers of the Max Payne movie weren't <laughs> interested in paying attention to the tropes of the noir filmmaking style, we aren't beholden to them either. Yeah, yeah, I think... I think just starting the show by very bluntly and and quietly saying movie boys is thematically appropriate for a, a, a movie that is that gets the job done. But, yes. but that's yes. all it does. Like like I've kicked started the podcast. I've got it done. Right. And and that's that's all that's that that's good. That that's yeah. that'll do for an intro. That'll do. Sure. That'll do. Um, I mean, Max Payne as a movie had a lot more effort put into it than me just saying movie boys. That oh yeah, was, yes, in fairness. Yeah, I, I'll be honest, I just couldn't think of anything. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything. I sure as shit wasn't going to sit down and write a whole Max Payne fucking monologue, uh, so, so that's yeah. what people get. That's what people get. <laughs> right, we watched Max Payne. We did. We watched Max Payne starring Marky Mark the Wahlberg Man uh, and Myla Kunis and Ludacris. Uh, you got a, a, a real all-star cast. It was, it, was a, it was a cast. Bo Bridges is in it. Um, yeah. Nelly Furtado's in it. Mm-hmm. A lot um, of people. Donald Logue, who I love. I love Donald Logue every time I see him. He's in this so briefly. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, yes, yes, indeed. Uh, so yeah, yeah, good cast, quality cast. It's a, it's a quote unquote quality film. Yeah. In that it boasts high production value, um, entertainment value a little less so. Yeah. I would say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. so Max Payne is the uh, remedy developed series uh, rooted in the noir tradition. Um, really, their breakout hit. That was yeah, yeah. This was the the kind of the game that that really put them on the map. Right, uh, Max Payne. I, I remember my brother was a big fan of it way back in the day. I personally came to the series much. I say series. I came to the game much later, and thus far, I've only ever played the first one. Mm. I never, never moved on to Max Payne two. Uh, I didn't play. Max Payne 3, which was a more recent release, was more recent years. Um, so yeah, I only ever played the first one, and even then, I think the last time I gave it a proper go, because uh, I, I, I never got to the end of it, which is why I never moved on to the sequels, because mm-hmm. um, it's, a, it's a tough play. In this day and age, it's a tough play. I played it uh, before the PS3 came out, so it was still PS2 generation when I first played it. Uh, and I think I ended up in a situation that was unwinnable. I think I ended up, it just glitched to a point where it was, it was not, I couldn't progress. Right. Uh, some, some do- I think it was some door that wouldn't open. Like, and I'm that- really having to reach back into my mind to recall what the situation was. But something happened where the game fucked up and I could not get any further. I can't, I can't recall if the game had a real, like, a, a robust checkpointing system. 
or if the checkpoint system was occasionally problematic, or if it was a, a one of those manual save holdover situations uh, from you know PC, because it, it was really best experienced on PC. Um, and I I remember when it came out, I had a friend who was really really into it for years. He was into Max Payne, uh, which I I thought was kind of curious. Like several years later, he was still playing Max Payne, and I didn't get that. Um, but it was kind of remarkable at the time it came out because bullet time was a thing they, the, the matrix had come out mm-hmm. a couple of years prior everybody knew what bullet time was but uh yeah, I and th- it, it only just i think around the max Payne time it had only just started becoming more of a thing in games yeah and max Payne sort of ushered in a sort of mini era where all action games had to have some bullet time in it uh, right. You know, we uh, see that these days with other different things. Like oh, right sure. now we're seeing selfies and photography modes making a big um, resurgence in games. So mm-hmm. many games have camera modes where you can take photos of your character in a location. Uh, Watch Dogs 2 and uh, Dead Rising 4 and Gravity Rush 2 even has a full-on photography mode. Um, and back then, it was, it was all, everything was bullet time. Constant right. slowdown all the time. Uh, well, you shooting. Well, I think what Max Payne brought to it was the player's basic, basically the player's ability to implement it. You would have bullet time sequences, I think, that were cropping up in other games, but this was something that you know was a strategic choice when you would use bullet time. Yeah. Um, and and it was it was fun, and it was um, it was kind of like being in a John Woo movie. You know, you'd dive and everything would slow down. And it was just, it was a really cool effect. It, yeah. It was now, one of those games that, despite, like, the phrase hasn't aged well has be- is becoming yes. sort of a dead horse phrase. Uh, but that's but, just what I was about to say. Yeah, this this game, it deserves the phrase. Yeah, there, there are a few, I think, that more uh, clearly typify what one means by that. Yeah, it but is, at the same time, um, this game also would qualify for the other Dead Horse phrase um, that's used more positively. I would say this is a, one of those games, one of those rare games where the, the term cinematic would actually apply. Oh, sure. Oh, well, yes. I mean, this, this, some, you have developers, and Remedy is certainly one of those, uh, Quantic Dream, another good example of, of developers that really heavily draw upon um, cinema as a inspiration point for its visual design. Yeah. One of those studios is a little better at it than the other one. One of them is. One of them is a little better at it than the yeah. other. I'll leave it up to the listener to decide which one. Sure, we're not going to pass judgment here. No. But... Yeah, so... It's, and, and this you can really see that in this game. Um, and and it, it carries on throughout... throughout the, I haven't played Quantum Break yet. I really want to. Yeah, it it's worth it. It is exactly as good as Uncharted Four. Wow, like it statistically, is, exactly as good. The two games are basically identical. If you if you've played Uncharted Four, <laughs> uh, you've basically played Quantum Break, and if you've played Quantum Break, you don't need to play Uncharted Four because you've experienced everything <coughs> Uncharted Four has to offer by playing Quantum Break. Right. Uh, definitely. They they scored the same on the Jimquisition.com. They are exactly the same. And that's exactly what I meant to say when I 
game, those games <laughs> that score is that they are exactly the same. They are ident- They are basically Uncharted Four is a carbon copy of Quantum Break, and Naughty Dog should be ashamed of themselves. But here's the thing about Max Payne and it not aging well. It's not just in its visuals or its controls, which we're still at a point where we were not quite entirely comfortable with dual analog first person. No, no, they or, were or, still or fumbling for the, yeah. for the right way of doing that. I played, the last time I played Max Payne, by the way, was an uh, original model NVIDIA Shield. Imagine that for a second. Ooh. Yes, mm. I like the NVIDIA Shield. Um, I, I, I've still got it knocking about somewhere. I should switch it back on. Uh, I loved it for the week or two I was playing it. I thought it was a great machine, um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah a little tricky. Yeah, that sounds. I mean, painful. Better using the shield with its sort of built-in controller than attempting to play, I guess, the way that it, it was originally designed to be played on mobile, which is not with a controller at all. I, I'm trying to imagine playing Max Payne just with a touchscreen, and it's making me want to be like very sick. Yeah, that sounds... Well, I, okay, I can... Oh, oh. Like, you'd need... Yeah, like, I imagine this... Uh, earlier this morning, I imagined me kissing Nigel Farage properly with tongues, and that made me feel ill. Well, you'd and have I to think have, this is worse. The you'd have to have it. one analog on overlay at least part of the time. And then maybe you swipe to bullet time and then tap to shoot. Because you really only sh- should be I mean, shooting when you're in bullet time. I imagine it's similar to, uh, you know, when they ported Grand Theft Auto 3 and San Andreas and Vice City and everything yeah. to mobile. Uh, and they're horrible. <laughs> they're horrible <laughs> to play on mobile. Uh, they're okay. Um, but, they, do, but... they do the best with, with what they've got. But, yeah, it's a little uncomfortable. And, oh, God, Max Payne, though. But aside from these mechanical things that are, you know, very clearly antiquated and not fun to use now, you know, and and they were, you know, they were accepted because they were what we had then. Um, And now we have so much better. But uh, the writing in Max Payne versus, say, the writing in Alan Wake. um, Uh Uh It's it's a a world apart. And they do the same things uh, structurally. In a lot of ways, they both rely heavily on the main on the protagonist as narrator, um, and and depicting their own situation. A lot of inward reflection, um, but Max Payne's, I cannot tell whether they are parodying the noir <laughs> style or very, very seriously attempting to emulate it. It's tough, because I remember even back in the day, like, like age doesn't even come into it. No, Back no. in the day, and as a... Ch- as, as a uh, I was going to say child, I mean teenager or whatever. I, I forget when I first saw it. But, but as a kid, even then, like, I thought it was fucking hilarious. In a, yes, in a cringy it, way, it was fucking Some of it was funny. just really overwrought. And, and you know, and... And, and, and to a point, you know, the teenage brain could be like, oh, that's cool. But now, looking back, even the stuff that, oh, that should, you know, I should have thought, oh, that's cool, not cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the difficulty comes with trying to, to call it a parody is that it's, it's transposed against some of the 
most disturbing, properly serious imagery and uh, uh, yes. tonal shifts that, that, that a game has. Um, the game itself, outside of the narration, there's nothing funny about it. It's, it borders on horror, uh, yeah. and not just the famous scene. Uh, with with Max finding his 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 wife and child, which is still one of one of the m- the more effective horror scenes a game's ever done, and I genuinely classify that as a horror uh, piece of horror gameplay. Um, but even outside of that, just the 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 dismal, depressing environment, um, which I I'm not saying as a negative, like they are effectively dismal and depressing. Uh, there's no comedy there whatsoever. It's not a funny game when you're actually playing it, but the 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 monologues in between are hilarious. Yeah. So I'm guessing it wasn't intentional. If it was, then that is some real mood whiplash they were going for. I mean, you know, S- Sam Lake still gets his, uh, you know overwrought action on in Alan Wake. I'm not I'm not suggesting that, you know, all his problems were solved there. Uh but boy, I mean it's just it's night and day. Yeah. The difference between the the two games. Um Well the the the, the thing that helped Alan Wake I think as well is that it did lean into the silliness a little more. Yes it did. It added a Twin Peaks uh vibe to everything. Right, yeah, they both well they both had the um you know, the this the gimmick where as Max passes through an area or as Alan passes through an area, some radio program or TV program would be airing to provide some extra bit of context or information or whatever. Yeah. And they, they both did this a lot. In the case of Max Payne, it's always very straight. It's always Jim Bravura talking about how they're going to, you know, hunt down Max and he can't escape the law. And in Alan Wake, you get the show that Alan Wake used to make, which was kind of crap. And, yeah. and and you get his sort of insane character ramblings. And so they, they, they both do exactly the same approach. One shows a seasoned, experienced storyteller who's figured out that you need both elements... And the other is is someone who, who I think is was earnestly trying to make a very very dramatic serious thing that went too far yeah. into comedy because it didn't That's have it, yeah. the things it to break crossed, that. Crossed the serious event horizon basically mm-hmm. and just came out the other side wrong. Um, but I mean, it's a classic for a reason. It it did um, it was influential. Oh yeah, uh, and and as one of those early action games, right at the dawn of figuring out three D action and, and dual analog, it was um, a seminal work. You and know, I, I did play. I played the whole series. Um, mm-hmm. it, Max Payne Two is forgettable, literally forgettable, because I literally forgot it, um, <laughs> and I read the plot synopsis and thought to myself, "Wow, they somehow made it worse." <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's right. I remember not thinking this was very good. Um, I liked Max Payne 3, even though it was a pretty serious departure and not, you know, developed by Remedy. Um, 
I like Yeah, that one was fairly controversial, at least before release. I remember yeah. people being up in arms about that one. And it was certainly more action oriented and they well, they they dramatically changed Max. Um, yeah, that was the big thing people didn't like. Old baldy beardy Max, who was uh, a different character entirely from what I had. Yeah, but it, well, it, it it abandoned a lot of the noir trappings. Um, they they put it in a more um, bright color palette, and it's very very. It's much more of an action thriller versus a a a noir detective story. And that's, I think, okay. Um, I, I reviewed it for Destructoid. I, I really liked it. I liked the idea of, of broken old failing Max. Um, probably in, you know, much the same way I, I wanted to like um, Old Snake in Metal Gear. Right. I, I want to see. I wanted to see that character progress past their limits and see what the impact of the lifestyle that character's led up to this point. You know, what, what's the end result of that? Um, yeah. And it's, and it was fertile ground, and I thought they did some interesting stuff with it. Uh, it's not a mind blowing, brilliant game, but on reflection, neither are the prior two. So. Um, I liked it. I thought it was pretty fun. I think it's worth a play. Uh, you know, especially since you'll be able to get it in some ridiculous Square Enix sale for five dollars. Um, yeah, that's it. Was a fun little trip. I liked it, but it's not not nothing in this series is great, and I think that goes for the film also. It's all now very there. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a thing you can consume now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't argue with that. I mean, like I said, my, my experience ends a lot sooner than yours did, as, uh, does as far as uh, experience with the series goes. Um, but, yeah, that, that, that's Max Payne as, as a game. Remarkable for its, its time and its contributions mm-hmm. to the medium. But now, I think, just, yeah. Disposable. Yeah, it's it, it's very much one of those thank you for your service yes. situations. <laughs> Here's your gold watch, sir. Yes, um, yes. Uh, go retire with with dignity, my friend. Yeah, um, I, yeah. And, and and they've done they've done they did. Alan Wake's one of my favorite video games. Yeah. So if it took them doing that to make that, that hey. Yeah. Good, well, I I you. have no doubt that, that if Remedy ever returned to the series, they'd probably do some really interesting stuff with it. Yeah. Uh, but you know. I don't think it'll happen, but there you go. Yep, yep, yep. there it is. Yep, there we go. So that's Max Payne as a game. How is Max Payne like as a movie? Well, that's why you're here with the movie, boys, because we're about to tell you, for God's sake. As as a movie, it is um, also just kind of disposable. Yeah. Should we tell them what happens in the movie, do you think? Okay, let's yeah. Should let's... we should we treat them with a little rundown? It's, let's a, it's a little it. unusual for this show, <laughs> but, but let's break with convention and then tell everyone everything that happens in the film. Over a black screen, Remedy was the better one, not Quantic Dream. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Yes, over a black screen, the voice of Max Payne summarizes the things he believes in. 
including pain, fear, and death, but notably not heaven. Um, it's I mean, He's a chipper fella. He is. He's a, but at this point in the film, at this very, very nascent beginning, mm-hmm. there is um, a hope that could be established that Max is going to be the kind of inward reflecting character that we yeah. came to expect from the games. Well, this is one of the few games where... Oh, sorry, one of the few movies that we've looked at where the voiceover explaining the premise of the film is justified. Yes. Like, we make fun of the, that all the time on this show, but this movie, it's justified because that's Max Payne. Except it it's, turns out this was just little more than a referential nod. It's, like it's, a token nod to the games. It's like one of two times this happens. Yeah. And they're both they both they're both seemingly part of the same um bit of writing. <laughs> yeah. So. Like, let's just get this out of the way right now. This is not the uh angsty, overdrawn, noir, like modern noir that the games were. No, if this is anyone th- is expecting that they are set up for a huge disappointment, especially by this intro. This is a funhouse mirror reflection. Yeah. Of he is Payne. even gravelly with his voice in this bit, which he is not for the rest of the film. Yeah. It's like Marky Mark does this impersonation of the Max Payne we know, and then he's just Marky Mark for the rest of it. And it's like the film's fucking with us, because I was like, I was watching that first bit, and I'm like, okay, this is. This is legit his mark's doing a good max Payne, like not the best max Payne i could imagine being done but this is all right and then the rest of it is just it's just mark <laughs> he might as well just be called mark just mark jones uh as this uh, yeah. voiceover is happening max is falling to the bottom of uh, what seems to be a popular river for dumping bodies in mm-hmm. uh cut with flashbacks of him finding his dead wife and child Cut to a week earlier, and a new guy is introduced to the cold realities of the cold case unit, where investigations go to die, um, and apparently so does this character's role in the film. Uh, He's introduced to Max, who ignores him, and then the guy is told to leave him alone by the person giving him the tour because because Max's wife and daughter were killed and the murderer is never found. So this guy, don't get attached to him. Because he's already done. This is the whole... Yeah. They, 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 they try to set up, like, he's going to be involved in the story in some way. But he's really just used as a tool so that we can introduce Max without Max having to ever say a word. Yeah. Which, for a, a movie based on a game in which Max does a lot of talking and introduction about himself, is a unique choice. It was a strange. It was a strange way to go about it. Yeah, um, it was a little out of left field. Cut back to Max broodingly going through a file that has the name William Preston, and then quick cut to at home admiring a few guns and a whole lot of bullets, and then another quick cut to a subway where three junkies sit on a bench. Yeah, just boom, boom, boom. Very little time to figure out what's going on, where he is. I mean, he's in different locations. He's in the office, and then he's in his apartment. And you don't get any time to survey the scene that he's living in to sort of build an impression of who he is, because you get just one shot of him at a table. 
mm-hmm. with guns on it. What I, what I find interesting about this film is that it moves so quickly and yet feels so, so ponderous. slow. Yes. Yeah, like it's it, it cuts to a lot of scenes and, and it doesn't really let up for the film. Like every like action sequences are all constant camera angles. Like it's dizzying at times. The like the speed at which this thing cuts from one thing to another. But very little happens in each cut, so it just feels slow. Even though it's moving at a rapid pace. It's just it's not doing anything fast. It's just it's doing nothing fast. Yeah, but then then well then you'll have other scenes that are either a completely unnecessary like totally there was no why did you waste my time with this i've learned nothing new or they're just dragged out interminably i i think they're trying to build tension but i'm not finding it anywhere um so max is in this subway with these junkies on a bench, and he walks past them, and he's wearing a shiny gold watch that has their attention. And these ne'er-do-wells follow him to the men's room, uh, dropping an empty drug vial that the camera demands our attention to for plot reasons. And they try to threaten him for this watch. Max reveals that the watch was itself something that someone in the group had previously stolen and pawned, which he knows because he's been following one member of the crew, Dougie, who's like the sniveling junkie. This is a really... What? <laughs> what? So, I, is, is he Batman? Is he Batman? Is that what's happening here? <laughs> yeah, I, I thought about Batman a few times watching this. And actually, before we started recording, you mentioned Zack Snyder. I did, yes. Because uh, yeah, visually, this, is, this film has a lot of Zack Snyder language. Yes, yes. This is, if anything, you can look at this as a preview of what the standalone Batman film's going to look like. Mmm. I hadn't seen it. Or I, I, mean, I, 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 haven't not, seen, I haven't seen any of the DC right. films. Uh, I, I saw Suicide so Squad. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was awful. <laughs> yeah. That's the impression I've been getting from everyone I've seen discuss a DC Universe film. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Uh, but yeah, I, and, and it's... God, Affleck should be such a great... He should be the best Batman since um, fucking Michael Keaton. I've heard he is quite good. I've heard he is... Like, 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 like from what I heard about Dawn of Justice... Yeah. Um... The scenes that were just Batman-focused were pretty damn good. Uh, and, and everything else is what fell apart. Because uh, a lot of people were giving Affleck shit when it was announced he was going to be Batman. But I'm like, he, I, could, I could easily see it. He can play both ends of that character so perfectly. Well, yeah. One, one end is the, most, is the most important in selling it. And it's not the Batman bit. Because no. I don't think doing Batman is, is hard to do. Because uh, as a character, he doesn't show very much. It's no. the Bruce Wayne bit that you've got to sell people on. And, yeah, Affleck can do that pretty fucking easy. So I don't know why people were that worried about him as a casting choice. Uh, and, and as it turns out, him as a casting choice was the least of the problems involved with, <laughs> with anything to do with the DC movies of late. Yeah. Um, but, yes, this is very proto-that, that sort of grim, dark 
movie style that has taken root so firmly, especially in uh, the DC side of, of comic book movies and stuff. So the leader of this crew of junkies pulls a gun and asks if Max is a cop, to which Max replies, not tonight, as he shows them his badge. Yeah, yeah, it, it confused me a little bit. I, I guess he's supposed to be implying that because it's not in his special badge place, <laughs> that that but but normally when a cop flashes a badge at you, that's not the it's not the international sign of I am not a cop. No, it is it is usually the sign of I am a cop. And, yeah, and so they know that he is a cop, and yet they still proceed to try and rob him because he said he wasn't. Because he said that's, he wasn't. Because he said he wasn't, they are like, oh, well, that's a shame because now we are going to, you know, mug you. He, could, he, he probably still has a gun if he's got his badge. And, 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 and I don't know how, to, how else to put this. Just saying you are not a cop <laughs> does not make you not a cop. That's You're true. Still a cop. And... Yo, so this, things must be really, really fucking bad in New York City right now that a criminal is so cavalier about the idea of just killing a cop. Because yeah. that's the end of your criminal career. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't care how much you like to eat drugs, right? At some point, self-preservation still kicks in. Right. You know? Like, like most people who are hooked on whatever drugs, like, they're not suicidally stupid. No. You know, they'll do some pretty, like, out there things to get money or, or whatever. Uh, but, well, but robbing a cop just because he said he's not a cop, even though he confirmed he's a cop, it's not, it's not a good look for the junkie community. No. This film. No. So, Dougie is sent to retrieve the, the watch from Max. Uh, he, he, Max had set it on the edge of a sink. Um, and Dougie slips, knocks the watch off the sink, and distracts the gunman, so Max is able to overpower him. Yeah. I've got to uh, say, what was Max's game plan if Dougie If there had was no distraction? Not, yeah. Because that, that's all I could think of for the rest of this scene was... was is he so Batman for the purposes of this scene that he just knew that that character like always knocks things off of sinks, or uh, like like he he was playing the mind game chess so well that he was like, if I put the watch just here and rattle him in just this way, he'll knock the watch at this exact. I just I, it's a plan that hinged on luck. I think. Well, I think you're right. It hinged on luck. I, I don't know. Maybe what they were trying to convey um, in this is that Max has no fear of death. Like he's prepared to die. So it didn't really. He didn't need a backup plan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, again. Uh, but it hasn't earned that. Having yet. no fear of death doesn't make you interminably stupid. Right. Like, he's still trying to accomplish a task. His, his task isn't to die. No, it's His not. task is, you know, vengeance, find out who killed his family. And it, if you get basically killed by the first three generic street 
thugs you come across. The basic level mooks. You're done fucked up. Yeah. 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 And if you're ever on a roaring rampage of revenge, by the way, listeners, um, don't hinge your entire plan on someone you don't know maybe knocking a watch off a sink. It's uh, statistically unlikely, you know, contrary yeah. to what the film might suggest. Yes, probability is not on your side. I would not uh, use Max Payne as the blueprint for my rampage. No, no, not at all. Not at all. In fact, uh, don't, don't walk into a bathroom uh, with a gold watch on display in front of three criminals who will rob you for it. That, that, well, that just seems like good advice. Yeah, I mean, just just don't. Just don't do it. Now, Max he, clearly had a plan here because he was trying to track down Dougie. And uh, so this kerfuffle starts, and Dougie starts trying to hide from Max, crawling underneath the bathroom stalls, and Max just sort of blows the doors off of each bathroom stall in succession. That was nice, actually. I yeah. liked the way that was shot, the way that was done. I liked mm-hmm. him shooting the bathroom doors, following Dougie as he crawls underneath the stalls. That was yeah. nice. That was a nice good little sh- bit. Nice little bit. Gets uh, he gets him in a, in a corner and uh, shows a photo of his wife, and Max asks if uh, the junkie knows anything about her because of his relationship with this William Preston guy from the file, uh, that they had done crimes together. Uh, but Dougie <laughs> just starts babbling nonsense about wings and max gets nothing and the third of the junkies i think he was trying to implicate paul mccartney oh he's oh. the real the real villain of this piece oh yeah well he he is a musical he is a crime against music at this point <laughs> uh, just paul if you're listening to this please stop you're yeah, hurting Mecca. you're hurting us and you're hurting yourself Throw in the towel. You had a great run. You, you know, I, I, we can get you into a program, uh, get you some help. Yeah, but take you need your to melted Mick Hucknall face and pack it in. So the third of the junkies, having fled into the subway tunnels, starts to see shadowy winged creatures and then gets hit by a train. Yeah. I should point out, it's a bad drug. And I don't know why it's popular. Maybe the movie explained that later, but I was really tuned out towards the end. But to me, a drug you take in which you hallucinate like dark angels trying to tear your face off, it, it just doesn't strike me as a good trip. <laughs> or maybe it's like maybe it's like other sort of drugs of that nature where you've just got to be in the right frame of mind and everyone in this film's fucking miserable <laughs> so they don't get to see anything fun um yeah I, I think i think what they specify later is that it makes you feel invincible yeah i don't know like like feathery black-winged angels uh, coming to fuck my shit up uh, it doesn't make me feel particularly invincible yeah, I yeah, agree. Because they, they all seemed very, very scared of the angels. Yep. Yep. So Max goes to visit Trevor, who is the snitch that pointed him to Dougie, uh, seeking new information, rudely barging in, barging in on what's a, a pretty happening party. 
and I was very excited to see that that it was Uncle Jack from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yes, uh, and he's threatening to to ruin this party. This whole scene is a cavalcade of interruption. Yeah, uh, it's very much like a Movie Boys episode. Yes, Max goes and interrupts Trevor's party, and then he and Trevor are interrupted by a young woman named Natasha who seems interested in flirting with Max, and he's interested in her tattoo of a black wing. Then they're interrupted by Natasha's sister, Mona, who get, she's concerned that Natasha may be using the drugs and running with a bad crowd. But then Mona buggers off when, when she learns that Max is a cop. Yeah, although I should point out that Max was very unethical here because he did not follow up and say, well... Technically, I'm a cop, but not tonight. Yeah, yeah. So oh, she is talking shit when she says she's with a cop. Yeah. Because I'm not one tonight. Like, here's my badge. This is the proof that I'm not a cop. He told us earlier in the evening that he was not a cop tonight. Yeah. But he let he let uh, the sister lie to her sister. Like, like, lie to Myla Kunis, which is, like, the worst lie you can ever do. Well, it was, it, was it a... Is, is it, she didn't know it was a lie. She didn't know it wasn't true. It's Max. It's Max's sin of omission. Yeah, 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 yeah. Max made a liar of another woman. And uh, again, not just a liar, but someone who lied to Myla Kunis. Which, which yeah. is the worst lie you can tell. <laughs> My, Myla Kunis, with an interesting Russian accent. <laughs> it's a unique one, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting... It's it's an it's an esoteric take on the familiar Russian accent we've all come to know and love. Um, Although to be honest, in a couple of weeks, it will be a Russian accent. <laughs> ho ho! Uh, hey um, So that was I I I don't I don't care how sick people may be of me bringing up Russia every podcast I do. That was top notch. Yep, that one. That was a, that was a winner. That was a winner. Um, the I'm gonna I'm gonna take this sound clip out and put it on the internet as its own thing and say, look at the clever thing I did in this buried in this podcast. Sorry, carry on. Well, it's a bit, um, another thing worth worth noting about the um, Mona Mona Sachs character in this film is, is like many of the well, all I guess all of the other characters in this film they they are the same name. And they are the same role in the story in a lot of ways, but that's where the similarities seem to end mm-hmm. uh, between the film Max Payne and the video game. Uh, and it's it's really significant in the case of Mona because they have taken her character and combined it with the character of Vladimir Lem, which the, and the, these are the two allies that Max gets in the game. Mm-hmm. They just smushed them together and made Mona Sachs the head of the Russian mob. Yeah, yeah. I mean, composite characters, of course, are nothing new. No, uh, we see them typically in adaptations of books, where there, there are typically so many more characters in books that it makes sense to to mash them together. Um, Game of Thrones does it a lot. A lot of book characters end up as as representing uh, being represented by a single performer in the show. And I suppose it um, makes sense in in the context of this one too. There are a lot of characters here. There are a lot of characters, but. It feels like, like they used the wrong ones. Like, like it, it was an odd choice to make Mona Sachs the composite character here. Mm-hmm. 
when there are so many others that just feel wholly unnecessary to the to the overall. Well, and plot. and and furthermore, why? I, th- I find it frustrating that we have to pin two murders on Max. <laughs> like, that it's necessary to pin two murders on Max in this plot. That's just how extreme this movie is. It's, it's too extreme for just one false charge of murder. Uh, they, they gotta double it up, son. So, uh, Max and Natasha are, are trying to have their conversation, but then Trevor interrupts them again to try and get Max to leave. Max has questions for Natasha, and she's wandered off. So Max goes wandering off as well. And he heads into this back room, and he peeps in on some girls kissing and using the same drug the junkies from earlier were. Um, it's kind of, I mean, it's not, it's not like leering. He's just sort of observing kind of dispassionately, which I guess... Yeah, they... I feel in some regards they were trying to make him a little a little bit pliskin. A little bit, you know, I'm disaffected and no one can penetrate my harsh exterior and I'm immune to seduction and all this stuff. But I don't know, Marky Mark don't he he don't quite sell me on it as much as um Kurt Russell. I momentarily forgot his name there. I well I think I don't know, I think Wahlberg's particularly good at it in that he, I can look at him and think, yes, that man is a sociopath. He has no emotional register, which isn't <laughs> true. You know, I mean, and, and, well, I just, I think his face is too lovely. He's got a lovely little boy's face. He does have he a lovely. Looks like you want to ruffle his hair and give him an apple. But he can also just have dead fucking eyes. Yeah, I just. mean, he was he was creepy in fear, obviously. Mm-hmm. He yeah. knows how to do it, but well, and, it, it doesn't quite come together in this film. I, like, I, I, the, the movie I always think of with uh, Mark Wahlberg is uh, Boogie Nights. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the one that I always, I always sort of go to. And, and Oof, his... I think it's been over ten years since I last saw Boogie Nights. Oh, I just watched it a few nights ago, actually. Not in huh. preparation of this, necessarily. I just felt the urge. And it was on Netflix. And I was like, oh, yeah. dang, that's great. Yeah. God, that's one of my favorite movies. And and, and it's a real... Because ta- I don't think Mark Wahlberg's a particularly talented actor. I think he can do some range. Mm-hmm. But... He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a competent actor. Yeah. I, I feel. He, he is one of those sort of get-the-job-done actors. Yep. If you need someone to do a role, there's a good chance he'll do it. Not, not in a spectacular fashion, but he'll get it done. Yep. Yep, I agree with that. So, uh, he sees Natasha in that room collecting a vial of this drug, and then he has an awkward moment when he realizes that there's a big bald dude watching him watch girls kiss, who just so happens to also have a bunch of tattoos of black wings. Like... He really likes wings. A lot of them. He's got wings on his arms, he's got wings on his face, later we'll see him shirtless and he's got a big pair on his back really into the black wings. Um, then the, but before things can happen in this sort of awkward standoff, Natasha rolls up again and gets Max out of there. And in the process, revealing the bald dude's name to be Lupino, which I guess will be important. Because mm. it's just subtly dropped in there. 
Also, more Blackwing shadow things start moving around the room with the kissing girl, so I, I guess they're probably dead, too. Yeah. I think that's the implication. Worth noting, no breasts exposed for our pleasure. No. Just a thing to keep in mind. Um, they, kept that, they kept that in check, more or less. I, there are, they could have had loads here. Yes, there were and, lots and of opportunities. I, I, I can respect that. Mm-hmm. Like, what was this film rated when it was in theaters? Do, do you I know? know? I don't know. I mean, because it's not... I mean, obviously it's got lots of shooting. It's got killing and, and, and um, one uh, post-dismemberment scene. But it's not a... It's, it's not... When I would call something a violent movie... This isn't what I think of. When I think violent movie, at least in, in modern terms where the ante's been upped so much, you know, it's got to be pretty blood on the walls for me to think, oh, that's a violent film. Um, but this one was lots of action, lots of shooting, plenty of people that get killed. But it was, uh, I don't know. Well, I'm it, doing all this talking when I could just Google it. Well, I did look at it. It got a PG-13, uh, uh, oh, okay, ultimately. But it was a r- initially given an R rating. Um, and there was some outrage, I guess, because, um, the Dark Knight got a PG-13 and Max Payne got an R and he's like, what? And I kind of got to, I kind of got to go with him on that. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's no way this is an R-rated film. No. I mean, and even I watched the unrated version, um, that they released afterwards. And Mm. apparently the difference is, is that they, there's just a little more blood. Largely. Like, there's also three minutes of, of additional time in the running time. but I'll never understand writing systems. No, they're it, inscrutable. It, it, yeah, it, it's, it's an ancient mystery that I don't think any of us are ever going to well, truly it's, it's, unlock the secrets of. It's subject to whims. Uh, we're not... Uh, there's, there's no transparency to the process. There's <clears throat> if this is a thing that interests you, um, and, I, and I speak to the audience as well when I say this, uh, there's a really great documentary that came out, oh, maybe 10 years ago now, uh, called This Film Has Not Been Rated, um, that sort of talks about the, the process and how films are rated by the MPAA in as much as can be discussed, because the, the simple truth is that we don't know. <laughs> that information yeah. isn't available. Uh, really, Which really... Which is weird. Like, in the age where, like, you can find out how they make a fucking plastic duck in, in laborious detail. And, and then there's probably an episode of How It's Made that'll tell you for ten minutes how that fucking rubber duck got made. But we, we don't know how the movies that are consumed every single day get the ratings they get. It's, it's a, it is a strange... Um, you know, I mean, but the, and I, part of the problem is that, of course, art is subjective. Um, that is true. Yeah, and, it's all opinion based. And so you know they have a committee, seemingly that does. Nobody knows you know, the the members of the committee aren't public, which I guess is yeah. for good reason. That makes sense. I always assume it's like a bunch of like old white people that look like geography teachers. That's right? always been my image of of film ratings boards. Yeah, and but and they they don't have any sort of published rules. They seem to have their own internal guidelines. But who knows what those are, how specific they can be. You know, it's like the Constitution or the Bible. You can read it any, any way you want to get yeah. what you want. I think the only fair way to do it is, is like, 
jury duty. I think you get a summons through the mail that's like, you have to write this film. And then that's jury... I think jury duty should be scrapped. Like, let's just do away with the legal system. I can't be bothered with it. We'll free up the funds for the legal system uh, and sink it purely into movie ratings. And, and we'll, we'll hold trials for films. We'll get a jury of 12 peers who will rate the movie as it goes on trial with evidence and lawyers. You know, you get, like, like one... What, like, the, the prosecution are trying to go for a lower rating, the defence trying to go for... A, well, a higher rating and the defence trying to go for a lower rating, and... And that'll be something to do. <laughs> <laughs> there are no rules in America anymore. No. Let's just hold trials for films. Why not? <laughs> Why, Why not? fucking not now, eh? Let's just, let's just put movies on trial now. So Max brings Natasha back to his apartment... And she tries to seduce him by suggesting he pretends she's the woman who's driven him to live in a largely unfurnished apartment. Hot. <laughs> yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> a strange approach, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, honestly. Wh- uh, hey, why don't you pretend to be the woman who ruined, ruined your life? life role play is, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a growing scene in the kink community, let me tell you. Uh, there's, it's... It's a risk if that's the yeah. game you're going to try and play with, with someone. Because I would think you wouldn't want to do that just on the basis of, oh, fuck, what if, what if he harbors a lot of resentment and decides yeah. to get violent with me? Well, again, it was... I mean, this is her watch-on-the-sink moment, I guess. I guess. Uh, she, she took a... I don't want to say a calculated risk because I don't know how you calculate a response to that or the gold watch. It's just a risk. There's no thought going into it. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I've been party to a lot of um, interesting role play scenarios. The generally having a bit of a shit time scene is not one I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't think it'll catch on. So Max throws her out of his apartment. Um, and again, she is topless. The breasts are not exposed for our pleasure because this is... Yeah! They were going specifically for a PG-13 rating. Yeah, I, funnily enough, I, um, I was in and out a little bit while the movie was playing um, just because there were so many other better things to do. Um, but I didn't see the top come off. And so I saw her walking away uh, with you know, the bare back, and I was like, shit, like, I do not know now if the breasts were exposed for our pleasure. How will I be able to do the podcasts? I'm glad you, you let me know. Yeah, they, they, um, they were not. Yeah. She goes from uh, being in a dress, you see her pull the dress over her head and walk in, you know, in, in the distance in the back room. Because uh, that's know the there's... real difference between a PG-13 and an R rating. If, if they showed just a hint of areola, that was it. Yeah, exactly. And when, Ma- when we see her next, she's wrapped in the sheet on Max's bed. And we s- then, then we only see her from the back, after, yeah. you know, from that point on. So, um, yeah. Pretty, uh, very, danced around it, very specifically, trying to get that rating. Yeah, and, you if, know, they, if they didn't want, if they didn't want those, those, you know, teen dollars, uh, this film would be swimming in knocks. Yeah, I really think they would be. Uh, it's, and I, 
It just it looks like a film that desperately kept trying to want to show breasts. It and it <laughs> I I don't want to say that you have to resort to um a lot of violence or or, or content that could turn off a censor and get that R rating to make a Max Payne movie. Cuz I don't I don't think that's necessary. I don't no. think anything in Max Payne is so on its face violent. No, but specifically cultivating a PG-13 rating. Like, yeah. courting that, that that goes against the spirit of it. Yeah. The, I, the cynical drive to do it. And I think um, that, that in, in the case of Max Payne, the game, the, the drug element of it is so much more prevalent. Oh, uh, absolutely. So yeah. much more extreme. There are and, pills getting popped every which way in the game. Well, yeah, setting the oil setting aside, yeah, I hadn't even thought about the painkillers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I mean, just just the Valkyr stuff. Yeah, is creepy and unsettling and oh yeah, um, yeah, and they don't they 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 try to make it kind of terrifying and shadowy. Mm-hmm. But well, I, like I said, like the the game the. The original game has pure horror elements that are right. completely straight, and it it's even scarier because it is sort of a, a grounded scenario. And in you the know, the, film, these are strung out drug users on some terrifying fucking chemical. And I think the film kind of hurts its case because it doesn't. Um, it makes the angels. Or you know these visions that they have, it makes them seem fantastical. It yeah. makes it, it 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 almost seems to be trying to make you question that there's something supernatural going on, which the game never does. No. Um, these are junkies out of their mind. Yeah. And yeah, the angel thing I I remember at the time because I still remember when the first trailer came out for this and everyone was scratching their head and I'm none the wiser having watched it. I don't know what the point... My, I can only hazard a guess without, you know, doing research like a professional would. I can only hazard a guess that it was either A, something to have in trailers to make it look unique, B, something they could try and make look a bit Batman-y. Because there are scenes where you just see the shadows of the angels, where I'm like, this looks like a, a scene ripped from Batman. Yep. Uh, or C... They'd made a boring ass action film and needed something. They just needed something remarkable. Pick two. Because I think that's <laughs> yeah. Could be a, could be any combination of them. Could be all of them. Who yes. knows? Um, I mean, someone knows. It's probably out there somewhere. It's probably easier to find out the reason for that than it is to find out the reason why any film gets a, an age rating. I, yeah, I think that's probably true. So, uh, walk in the streets. Natasha calls a friend named Owen to get in touch with Lupino, which is funny because Lupino is watching her from a rooftop. And then a bunch of shadowy winged figure, winged creatures attack Natasha in an alley while she screams, not yet. Which again, not yet. It's that, that supernatural hint they're throwing in to try and be a bit ambiguous. Well, and, and I just I just made a connection with it too. I just realized... Uh, we'll get to it. 
In the morning, Max dresses and notices. Oh, oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. You, you, it just dawned on you too, didn't it? I, I think so. <sighs> I think so. Fuckers. In the morning, Max dresses and notices that his wallet. It's missing. still. It's. I mean, all the talk of cynical motivations and everything still hold true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But sorry, continue. Uh. In the morning, Max dresses and notices Walt's missing. Uh, at the precinct, he's met by his old partner, Alex. Uh, Do you because think Mark Wahlberg calls his wallet his wallet? Like he adds an H in there. I like to think he does. <laughs> uh, Alex uh, takes him to a, tr- to a crime scene. Which turns out to be uh, where Natasha was killed. And fancy that, Max's wallet has turned up. Um, Alex is played by Donald Logue. Mm-hmm. Love Donald Logue. Please, I will watch anything Donald Logue is in. I'm watching Gotham, for God's sake. <laughs> well, Gotham's good. Yeah, Gotham's uh, well, turned out to be pretty good. I only saw the first episode and some clips, but it looks good. It, it's, it, it's been a roller coaster ride. It's been a lot of up and down. I wish they'd stop doing anything with Bruce Wayne. Like, he doesn't belong in that story. I don't understand yeah, from, from what I saw from the pilot, and again, other clips, like, it seems like it should just be a show about the Penguin. Oh, God, yes. Like, it should just the, be all about Cobblepot. No, it's, it is, it is, this, the, the latest season, you know, not to spoil anything, they're shipping Penguin and, uh, and Riddler. Oh. It's beautiful. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, you, sh- you should be watching it. Yeah, I'm going to get back on that train because I loved the first episode. I genuinely enjoyed it. Yeah, so, they, they do yeah, some, they do some crappy that. Joker stuff along the way. but Yeah, I saw some clips of that. But yeah. the, the Penguin Riddler stuff is all pretty hot. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm pleased, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, Donald Logue, other, other things you should look for him in, uh, The Tao of Steve, um, which is a, a fun little independent film. Uh, he was on a short-lived series called Terriers on FX. I think you can find it on Hulu and Netflix. Oh, for God's sake, watch Terriers. It's a crime that that show didn't get picked up for a second season. Uh, it is brilliantly good. Um, so, yeah, uh, really like really like Donald Logue. Not used to his potential in Max Payne. Um, no, not at all. Because they have one more scene... Uh, where Alex tries to get Max to explain what he had to do with Natasha's death, and instead they just have an argument over how Max feels disappointed in Alex's ability to track down Michelle's killer, Max's wife. The, you know, the killer. Yeah, the one that did the killing. The one, the one that got away. Yeah, in, in done, the done a kill. Did, did a kill. Now, Alex, working Natasha's murder, observes the tattoo remembers a similar one in the murder of Max's wife, <gasps> yep. and leaves oh, a message oh, on, on Max's answering machine. And then we go to, to see Mona again. Uh, and then, this is kind of cut up differently than I'm presenting it. But Mona, we, we find out what Mona's up to. She's had a business meeting with what are probably criminals uh, when she's probably informed that her sister's dead. We don't get that conversation. Uh, but she's later approached by a police officer who provides her with the name of Natasha's friend Owen from phone records and a photocopy of Max's driver's license. So here we have these two individuals, these two parallel investigations going on. Uh, one uh, being handled by the criminal underworld 
and one being handled by the police, and, and they're kind of working, they're crossing over, because the, now we know that the police in the city are clearly corrupt, because uh, how easily she gets access to this information, blah, 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 blah. So this actually, this brief bit sets up a lot. There's a lot of plot in this. Again, why do they keep doing this? Why are these stories all so complicated? Why yep. are there so many fucking characters? Especially for a film like this. It's like, just do the damn thing. Yeah. Um, like, like what, what people wanted was just... Bullet time like shooting. grimy corridors and subway tunnels and snow and bullet time and shooting and bang bang and noir. And it, that's not hard to do. I don't think so. It shouldn't be. It no. shouldn't be hard to do. Um, Max gets the phone message from Alex and goes to meet him uh, at Max's apartment. And when he gets there, he finds the place wrecked and Alex uh, seemingly dead. And he's then beaten mercilessly by an unseen opponent, and before passing out, Max fires six shots in the direction of his attacker. Uh, now, when, when, when Max... Oh, I hated this scene, by the way. The, this, yeah. The fight scene? Never movies, right? This is just me addressing all movies. Never do a fight scene like that. The quick cuts and the flashes of red every time he got hit, and just the, the zoom-ins and outs, and, and like, it was... It hurt to watch. Like, it was just a dizzying array of visual information. Well, they were trying to... Don't do to, fights like that. They were trying to convey the visual information of the game. I know, know what they were trying to do. With, with, it, with that red, you know, like, oh, near death, you know, and you take a hit and the screen would flash red. Yeah, they did it bad. They did it very poorly. Um, I agree. It's... This is not... I, I don't know... The, and they, they did it to, because they need to conceal the killer still, I guess. Yeah. But it's, yeah. Not that it turns out to be any amazing revelation. Well, no. We know who the killer... We've seen yeah. the guy who did this. But they're still playing up this supernatural thing. And that's it. They're, they're still yeah. trying to keep the audience guessing whether it's supernatural. And that, that was the wrong tactic to take in the first place. I feel. But, mm -hmm. um, no, I agree completely. So, um, when Max comes to, he's in the hospital with his dear friend BB at the bedside. Who? Like, they just... <laughs> they just shove Bo Bridges in here. Yeah. At this point, which is, I think, I think we're now 25 minutes into the movie, maybe? Sounds about yeah. right. Um... And this is, you know, an important character, a fixture in, in Max's life. Um, so they, that, that's why they treat him with such the casual indifference of introduction. Like, he's been there all along. So if it's no big deal for Max that he's there, then it should be no big deal that he's there for us. And so we get, like, his backstory and his relationship to Max sort of drip-fed to us throughout the course of the rest of this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's something to do again. It, it, yeah, it's something I guess. to do. It, it, I don't know, it just... When you, when you meet him, you're like, all right, so why are these people friends? Like, they're very yeah. different in age. There's no mention whatsoever about what their relationship is, but this guy knows everything about Max's life. And it, so it's not until, like, 30 minutes later... 
that we get to find out, oh, well, this guy used to be a cop and was Max's father's partner. Yeah. Maybe they thought they'd keep people more invested in the film. If they if were they questioning fed. who this yeah. person is and why they're there. Yeah, if you're sat there thinking, so is is he like his significantly younger lover? Or... <laughs> it keeps you hooked, doesn't it? Uh, so BB explains that the police suspect Max in the uh, murder of Alex. Mm-hmm. After uh, The Force Awakens, by the way, like, I struggle. Like BB can't work as a name anymore. <laughs> I'm sorry, anybody called BB, because that's all I'm thinking of is the little white cockball, yeah. <laughs> as, <laughs> as some people call it. Well, and this is uh, again um, another character from Max Payne, the the game. Same yeah. name plays the same role in the story. Just a different character. He's in in, in in the film. They make it these the the tired. I was your dad's friend trope, or I was your dad's partner trope. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 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 Max Payne, he's just his DEA. He's just another guy at the DEA that Max works with. That's it. It's mm-hmm. just another DEA guy. That would have worked just fine. Yeah, I mean, this is we see this with with movies a fair bit, where there's this almost compulsive need for them to uh, reimagine characters. I, I I sometimes wonder if it's maybe like a filmmaker's arrogance, where a filmmaker just they have to make their mark on a story, even if it's a license. But who knows? I mean, now the other things that they changed with the character in terms of making him uh, the head of security at the. Uh, Acer? Acer? Is it Acer? Who cares? Uh, the, the <laughs> bad business. We're just going to call it yeah. bad business from now bad on. Bad business. We'll call it Umbrella. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that, that canon now. Yeah. Uh, so they, they make him the, the head of security at, um, at Umbrella. And, and I guess for the the purpose of the story that works well enough like, that, that that's okay that i'm fine yeah. with that jobs are good yeah um so they they head by his office at uh, yeah. umbrella corporation and uh in the lobby the company's ceo sees max and walks right up and offers her condolences that's not weird um uh... It's kind of a strange thing for someone who, you know, this seems like a multinational corporation. They have a, a building in midtown Manhattan. Uh, you know, not to... I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> but uh, but this sort of, this establishes that uh, uh, Max's wife, Michelle, had worked, had been an employee at, um, in um, at Umbrella. Um, now... Max gets a clean shirt from BB's office, and then they head to the wake, and Max gets slapped by Alex's widow, who blames him for Alex's death, seemingly regardless of whether or not Max actually killed him. Like, she's going to put the blame on him. Well, she she blames him for, for making him... Pursue the case. Himself yeah. And, yeah. You know, oh, you made him feel like nothing he did was good enough, and all this stuff. Which... It's a, a fair grievance. He yeah. was a, a cock. On the way out of the wake, 
Max is uh, stopped by Lieutenant Ludacris of Internal Affairs. Yep. Um, this is this is the Jim Bravura character. Uh, again, I he was not in. Jim Bravura was like the police commissioner, I think, or the police captain in uh, in the game. Uh, in this, he's uh, just an, an IA dude. Uh, but he has questions for Max back at the office, so they, they do that, and Max provides little information and then gets up and leaves. And ditches BB in an elevator. Like, he does that, you know, like, I'm in the elevator, oh, door's closed and pops out. Yeah. And heads uh, into the squad office of his old partner, Alex, uh, pursued by everyone in the squad who's, you know, they all think that Max killed him. And so are, you know, uh, not wanting him to be in the office. So he locks the door behind him and breaks into Alex's desk while all the other people outside are trying to break down the door into the office. And he, he finds uh, the case files and gets Owen's name, Natasha's friend that she called right before her death, and finds a photo of the tattoo with a note suggesting the connection between Natasha's death and his wife's death. Now, far be it for me to nitpick. No, no, that's not what we're here to do. Yeah, you know, um, or to call into question this film's attention to detail. Mm, mm. But why, why would he write connection to Michelle on the photo of Michelle's, from Michelle's crime scene? And then Natasha on the other side? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, um, wouldn't you write that on the photo of Natasha's tattoo? Yeah, I, I think, and this is me having to fill in the blanks here, I think, similar to how he's done a lot of things in the movie up to this point, He's doing that just to see if anything happens. Well, no, but I mean, it's Alex. Like, why would Alex have written that on that, on that photo? <laughs> like, he swapped the, they swapped the names. Like, if you just repositioned the names differently on that photograph, it would work. It's a little yeah. weird and vague, and I don't know why you'd only put first names. <laughs> but it would work. But again, this is a film in which people propose things and, and follow through on plans that have no statistical chance of working. Yeah, fair enough. The fact this doesn't work might be part of some genius plan. So Max, Max goes and meets BB in back of a bar and rails about how Alex had new info and then just wanders off. And the whole, the whole point of this totally unnecessary face-to-face encounter that could have been handled. Because this is 2008, we have cell phones. He could have been... We could have just done this in one of these pointless driving scenes that he does, where he just calls up and tells him, no, we're going to give Bo Bridges more screen time. Whoop-de-shit. Fucking unreal. So, uh... He's strolling around Manhattan now, and, and, and suddenly Mona's thugs are there, and they start following him. And so he goes into an alley and draws his gun to wait for the thugs and backs up, but Mona gets the drop on him because she is also Batman. Yes. She knew yeah. he was going to go down this specific alley. 
Yeah, everyone, everyone is Batman when the situation calls for them to be Batman in this film. And so she slaps Max around over the death of Natasha until he brings up Owen and convinces her that they should really be looking into that guy. Uh, so they go to a drug den together, and, and Mona's not still totally trusting Max. Um, and uh, Lupino's there also, looking down on him like he does. That's what Lupino does. He's, like, lurking yeah. on, on every rooftop in the city, staring like down Batman. on the characters. Yes, like Batman. Exactly like Batman. I, I, I think this film was trying to look exactly like Batman. <coughs> Specifically the Nolan films, which were popular at the time. But it's it's too Zack Snydery for that visually. Like everything has too much contrast and too much uh, digital artifice. Yeah, maybe this maybe Max Payne is the missing link between Nolan and oh, Snyder. Oh shit! You just done blew my mind, son. Mm-hmm. So Max and Mona go to this drug den, and they follow the sound of a howling junkie to its source. And discover Owen freaking out near an open, crumbled window. Uh, Max tries to ask Owen about Natasha. And Owen says they took her up in their wings. And then he starts to fall back as though he were stumbling. But the camera focuses in and we see that he's clawing at the edges of the window as if trying to hold himself back in. And as Max moves to catch him, a winged creature pulls Owen through the window, and he falls onto the car below, dying. Um, so... And again, yeah, that, that whole teasing the supernatural. Oh, the angel pulled him. The angel pulled him, right? But He didn't jump, he was pulled. But Max has no reaction to the angel, because he doesn't no. see the angel. And, and the, the broken fingernails and the clawing at the sides of the thing and this, this deliberately, like, misleading kind of crap. I mean, it's not like the guy's body was pulling itself out the window against his will. It's just... It's so fucking stupid. Yeah. You'll get no argument from me <sighs> on that count, young man. Uh, why, why would you make it... Why would you make it so that people were scared of the angels? It's just Again, so... like, I, I spent the whole film thinking, why are they taking this drug? It, 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 it runs so counter to, I mean, there's so many, like, they could just kill themselves and throw themselves. They could be scared of everything else and accepting of the death then. Like, the whole fucking universe could get scary. And then they're in, the, and the angel catches them. Like, and they're ready to die. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would be better. That would be better visually as well. Like I could see that being a very interesting sort of like he's terrified uh, of thing. he's terrified he's a Max, he's up against the window, he looks out, he sees the angel like arms outstretched waiting for him, falls back, and then we see, you know, a slow shot from the side of him falling down, the angel there, and he just passes through it and into the car that he falls into. That would be uh, that would be fantastic. But that's not what happens. No. The next stop for Max and Mona is the tattoo parlor Natasha got her ink at. Yeah. Also, the owner of the tattoo parlor, the guy who plays him, uh, wrote his own Wikipedia page. Did he? Yeah, I can't remember his name now. I, was, I, I meant to make a note of it, but I... Because um, I had Amazon X-Ray on, but no facts. Uh, just cast. Uh, and 
for some reason he seemed familiar, and so I looked him up. Um, we have seen him before in movies we've covered here, uh, but they were things like Zombie in Resident Evil Apocalypse and Some Bloke in Silent Hill. Uh, but if you um, look up Max Payne, look up who played the tattoo uh, parlor owner, and just just look at this. I, I was going to read it out, but it, it seemed cruel, so just check it out in your own time. It's I, I am delighted by actors who write their own Wikipedia page. There is a guy in the movie Trick or Treat, like a, some big guy who's, I think, drunk, and he's got, like, a line, but he has a goddamn novella of a Wikipedia page. And I love those pages. They delight me no end. This is not a novella. No, uh, it's quite quite succinct. It's quite but succinct. But still... Very still clearly self-authoring. Yes. yes. Uh, and uh, interestingly, his, his first credited role here uh it was on an episode of are you afraid of the dark yes i remember watching as a child and i probably saw him in that well this is wikipedia states he has uh he's he's well known for playing creepy villains mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well he, he well been, known he would have been such as random old, undead which is a bit uh, a bit old i think to play the role of goth in anything yeah but he did play the character goth well i work i work with luke bernard though so that's true uh, yeah, you know, what can you do? Yeah. Does Luke Bernard write his own Wikipedia page? No, no, I don't no. think. I've, Luke, I've, I don't I've know if Luke s- Bernard has a Wikipedia page. I don't know I either. To think. I, uh, I just wondered if there were more connections between Luke Bernard and this actor. Are they the same person? Who can, who knows? <laughs> I've never seen the two God. of them in the same room. That's all I'm no. gonna say. No, that is true. I think we need to look into this. Just what is Luke Bernard's involvement with Max Payne? Does he know Marky Mark? Does he call his wallet a wallet? And this, but he has a very distinct face. Uh, he's very expressive. It's still a yeah. weird scene. He, that he has these sort of Norse mythology books on his, just sitting there on his counter. Like, these aren't. There is, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, but then again, a lot of people who go and get tattoos, and especially in a, a tattoo parlor that, with that aesthetic, do resemble Vikings. <laughs> I grew up around a lot of them. Is that is that? I, I grew up in I grew up in uh, um, sort of biker culture and stuff, uh-huh. which you wouldn't think to when you look at the second-rate otho that I am in my adult <laughs> life. Um, yeah, yeah. A lot of them looked like Vikings. A lot of them had swords. Huh. I still remember seeing just two bikers just wailing on each other with a big fucking sword and shield each. Big fans of that shit. Wow. So, yeah, probably stand to reason that, that there's a... I would say there is a better than slim chance that the owner of any tattoo establishment has at least one Norse book on hand. But it's not even and like a, it's a good inspiration for art as well. Well, it was a lot of, but it was it was an old like an old book, an old text, and a text at that. You know, like it seemed like the book kind of book with a lot of lot less pictures than words, which I just found mm-hmm. interesting. Like, wouldn't you get an art book? That's what I've always seen at tattoo parlors: is art books. No, you're not going to the right tattoo parlors. I guess Many not. of them double up as um, as libraries, as libraries, yeah, special collections. Uh, Anthropological museums. 
Yes, I would agree with that. There are definitely some um, rare specimens <laughs> in the tattoo parlors I've been to. <laughs> there we go, you see? The economy hits everywhere. You've got you to gotta widen your business. There is a, there is a, and I'm not even making this up, there is a, a place out here. It infuriates me every time we go past it. Because it does photos, like family portraits and that kind of thing. And slushy drinks. And ice creams and coffees. And they are... And, and sometimes they'll have a barbecue out the front and they'll grill you up some meat as well. Can, and that, that's too many things for a business. Do they print the photos while you you wait? Like, so do you go I, and get your family photos and then everyone can go have, like, some barbecue or a slushy or whatever and On wait? moral grounds, I ain't ever going in to check. Yeah. Because, I mean, that, I'm would, sorry, that I'm, would make sense as a, in a weird way as a business model. You know, like, because you can have that quick turnaround time, you can keep people there at your establishment spending money on your other tax. Yeah. I just, it, it feels like someone, like, really took a liberty. Because it's like they saw that we let people who fix shoes also cut keys. Right. And they said, right, that means I can do anything. No, that's the only one you can do. <laughs> it's, right, tattoo parlors get to be museums. And cobblers get to be key cutters. Photographers do not get to be baristas. No. No, you can that be one or the other, and that's One it. or the other. You can be an actor and a barista. You can Absolutely. be a writer and a barista, but you cannot be a photographer and a barista. Right Camera, cup. Pick one. Probably go for the camera because there's a lot of upward mobility in that job. If you're good at taking photos. I mean, if you're not if you're not a photographer at heart, if you're not good at it, if you don't have the... Yeah, if you don't have the, the, the talent, the chops. in it. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't want to be a photographer, um, Go probably the barista. be a barista. Yeah. Unless you don't want to be a barista either, in which case, just uh, look for a job that you like. You might not get it. It's a, it's a, it's a tough market and very competitive, especially for uh, lucrative or, or highly desirous jobs. Uh, you might need to take a barista gig to make ends meet while you're looking for work. Right, while you're uh, following your dreams. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but you know, aim high. <laughs> so the tattoo parlor <laughs> guy <laughs> explains that the tattoos are symbolic of Valkyries and that Vikings would get them for protection and they're soldiers' angels. And uh, cut to Lupino. He's got some dude taped to a chair. Jones in pretty bad for some drugs. And so Lupino gives him some. And then taunts him with uh, another vial of it by throwing it on the ground. And the dude, like, oh, I'm so full of drugs and rage, yeah. rips the duct tape, confining him to the chair, and goes for the vial. But, you know, Lupino had no intention of ever letting him have it and crushes his hand on the vial, the glass. And then the guy goes and licks the floor to get the drugs because he's such an addict. And and Lupino slaughters him with his machete because he's a bad guy. That's that this that's what this, the point of the scene was. Yeah, so, I had no interest in this film's villain. Mm -mm, he's boring. And yeah, villains are like like what I tend to find the most interesting in any given film. But he doesn't he speak. So, 
Not really, no. No, he, he has no no There's, real personality other than I am evil. There is there is the one the only scene in which we see him speak is at a time that is in no way reflective of who this character is any longer, yeah. it seems. Mm-hmm. And uh, just he's not yeah. interesting. Nah. Uh Mom or say mom. Whoa. Freudian thing. Mona visits one one of her underworld contacts looking for information. And he points her in the direction of Lupino and the club that he hangs out at called Ragnarok. And then he gives some background on on Max. Yeah, it is a little on the nose. But yeah, it's right out of the game. There's nothing subtle about the the Norse influences in Remedy games. I mean, that's what they do. Um... And then, so this, this Underworld contact gives some background on Max that paints him as some kind of crusader, and, and he warns Mona to stay away from him. Uh, and then we see Max doing his own investigation stuff. He goes to a storage facility where he has meticulously organized everything from his former life in boxes, file boxes, like banker's boxes. It's weird, mm-hmm. considering he has none of this shit in his house. And uh, so he... I don't know, I don't know maybe, maybe he moved all the stuff from his house to this storage facility in, the, like, the day that has passed, or the... I, I, I don't understand why it's all there. But, uh... Again, some master plan. He, he Well, he, he goes through a box of his wife's home office stuff and makes two observations. One, that there isn't really any paperwork in the box now, except for a few folders. And why would you just leave... Why would you leave what's there there, then? Because it's got corporate logos for fucking Umbrella Corporation all over it. Except, you know, it's got the black wing in there. Oh my god! You called your drug Valkyr? <laughs> like, just fucking kill me. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, this is one of those films that... that, that I was going to say it doesn't stand up to scrutiny, but I don't think the human psyche... S- Stands up to scrutinizing it. It's you know it's. It, you it, just kind of gotta let it ha- just let it happen. If you wanna, they didn't you want to say some one thing for its uh, faithfulness to the Max Payne game is that it decided to um, be faithful to its just complete lack of subtlety. Yes. Not what I would have chosen maybe as the thing to be most faithful to. No, I'd have gone for the noir elements or, you know, tried to emulate the action or, or more of the, the grittier, element, grounded elements of the plot. Right. But uh, but we got snow, which they do the snow really well. Snow oh, yeah, yeah. The sets, um, the set design of, of the film is, is the only outstanding part as far as I'm concerned. Well, the digital they, they work is solid. Nice. I think the digital work is really good. Because, uh, I mean, everything in this is painted to shit. But it, yeah, it's it's yeah. it, it's stark, uh, it's attractive, and I don't I I know that it is painted shit, but I'm not thinking about that when I'm looking at it. I think yeah. that's a really cool looking scene. Um, so yeah, I, that. But boy, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, Max then goes to BB because you know he's realized that oh somebody has an interest in my wife's paperwork. Uh, and oh, maybe there's some connection between the place my wife worked and all this stuff, and gets the name of his wife's former supervisor, which is uh, Jason Colvin. 
And this concerns BB. Uh, which, you know, I mean, who are we kidding? He's the bad guy. But we're, we're still playing this in the movie like he's... Uh, we're still trying to pretend yeah. that, that he's got Max's interests at heart. And he goes to Lieutenant Ludacris and tells him Max's life story. And this is where we get the, uh, the full flashback of Max killing the people that, you know, or trying, you know, fighting the people that are killing his family and, and being there too late to save them. Yep. Not a patch on the game's version of no. events. They went to they they went for drama and they went safe and yeah they went safe they went for drama again going for that PG thirteen you probably couldn't get away with how it's done in the games, um, but it's just like if you're if you're making a movie of Max Payne, that's the scene you'd you'd want to see recreated. I think the- you know I say want no one wants to see a dead baby. Uh, I'm just saying like that's it's such a. a, a an iconic, not Ubisoft iconic, proper iconic moment uh, of of many of any game sort of of that era. It's one of the I most have, I have been saying memorable things. I have been saying for a very very long time now, and I hadn't even really thought about it in the context of Max Payne. But this is an excellent. It's an excellent illustration of something that I have been saying for a very long time. It's that horror games. I, I don't find horror games horrifying anymore. If you want to, if you want to horrify me in a game, show me crib death. You know, now that I'm an adult, adult things scare me. Yes, yeah. the the adult fear. Real kind of stakes trope, scare yeah. me, um, and that's what this, that's what Max Payne had. Max Payne had actual stakes, and it is horrifying the thought of coming upon you, you know, dead baby in a crib. Um, yeah, this does not. It doesn't have any of that. This this has. I mean, it's it's they they use these bright tones in these flashback scenes. It's a lot of of yellow and light brown. Uh, oh yeah, it's like daytime it's, movie. It's it's nostalgia kind of flashback as opposed to yeah. horror horrible life event flashback. And it's because the the music that plays in the scene is actually quite nice, like like quite quite good and effective for a, a dramatic scene. Yeah, it's just not the right. It doesn't it's, strike it's, the tone. It's wasted here. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not it it it's not the horrifying thing it should be. It really is just a very very bog standard. Your wife's dead. Here's your here's your prepackaged motivation. Yeah, that you can see in any dime a dozen action movie. So BB. Uh says that he's worried that Max might do something and urges Lieutenant Ludacris to go hunt him down. Um, yeah. Cut to Jason Colvin standing in the rain as a limo pulls up with the CEO of Umbrella in the back seat, and he hands her a file with info on Lupino, who we now learn was a soldier. And uh, she asks if uh, him, meaning Colvin, uh, is threatening her with this information, like he's threatening to expose it or... or something uh which he doesn't that doesn't seem to be the case he didn't seem at all interested in doing that no um and he spinelessly takes the file back along with instructions to deal with it um you know who you know who this actor is right playing colvin i can't even remember what he looks like now he's chris o'donnell ah uh. robin uh-huh. Of of Batman and Robin fame. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, this is a guy... 
this is a guy whose career seemed like it had no ceiling. <laughs> and then Batman. Mm-hmm. And specifically Batman and, and Robin um, yeah. happened. And it's so weird because he and Leonardo DiCaprio were in competition. Like, they were the two hot rising stars of Hollywood. And they were both, like, they were the, the two that it came down to for Robin. And they went with Chris O'Donnell. Yeah. And O'Donnell and then... turned down Titanic. Yep. So you get the situation where O'Donnell kind of elects to be in the best Batman movie that's ever been made. <laughs> His career peaks. Where do you go from there? It's, it's a downward slide. And then poor... Once you've hit the heights. And poor Leo. Just, you yeah. know, one Oscar nomination after another after that. I mean, oh, what a burden. Yeah. Chris made the right call. Exactly. Because now he gets, he gets to be to... in Max Payne. Yeah. And he's not bad. He's just unremarkable. Because the character should be unremarkable. He does his job. Yep. Poor. He he does he does his job and gets a, a relatively easy paycheck. Can't can't uh, begrudge the man that. It's just how the how man and you you look at the potential that that career had and then you look at where it went and it's just such a it feels tragic because I don't feel like it's his fault necessarily yeah. other than just a couple of unfortunate choices. You know, he went for the money. Yeah, and he got it. I guess. <laughs> yeah, he got his blood money. Um, so, anyway. Um, okay. We'll get a regular... I've got a doctor. Oh, yes. Okay, let's get this yeah. done. Yeah, so he, he goes... Colvin goes back to his office, and he finds Max waiting there for him, and then Max just sort of beats him to learn that Acer had been working on a super soldier drug for the military, but it was super addictive, and it only really worked on 1% of people, with the rest going, going insane from hallucinations. And then, hey, Michelle's... Really, really bad fucking product. And, and Michelle's murder's related to this, so, you know, there you go. And Coleman promises to confess if Max gets him out of the building and protects him. And so they take the evidence uh, in the envelope with them. And outside of Colvin's office, they're met by an, a, a, an umbrella corporation security team who just shoots Colvin just just shoots him there's no pretense there's no you have to come with us sir they just shoot him yeah it's 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 the one moment in the film where it it knew that we knew the obvious was going to happen and didn't try and drag it out yep uh now lieutenant ludicrous is also in the building uh, there to investigate Michelle, and so he hears the gunfire of these automatic weapons going on upstairs. He calls for backup. Uh, Max has a gunfire exchange for a while and then shoots a sprinkler to cause a distraction, grabs the envelope, and runs the length of the office building while being shot at. Now, this is your Matrix scene. Yep. And this is your uh, Morpheus running to the helicopter bit. Um, he does take a shot in the shoulder. Big whoop. Uh, and on the other end, he runs into Lieutenant Ludacris, who tries to bring him in, but Max refuses and is able to escape when the Umbrella team blows a door and causes a distraction, so he gets away. Mona returns to her office, find that it's also been broken into, and hey, look, it's Max, who's looking at the marketing materials for the Umbrella drug Valkyr. Oh, 
God, it is exactly what you'd think. They are so bad. Um, they watch this stuff together. The video includes an interview with Lupino where he waxes poetic about the benefits of using the drug. Now, apparently he's like the only guy it ever worked on. Yeah. Didn't stop him from getting all the marketing materials in place. Right. Yeah. They still went through with this much. Yeah. Uh, Mona tells Max where they can find Lupino, but then tells him not to go there. And so he goes there. Of course he does. Now, on the roof of the nightclub, Lupino's looking out over the city with his machete, taking Valkyr, and it's 60 seconds of my life I'm never going to get back. Uh, Max surprises a bouncer, shoots a few guys in a hallway with a shotgun, finds a whole lot of Valkyr in the club. Uh, the bullet time happens when he falls backward with the shotgun to shoot a dude who snuck up on him. That's a weird bullet time sequence. It's yeah. just Well, again, awkward. like the narration, it's... They, rather than try and make a good Max Payne movie, they do the the normal thing of let's just make a fucking cookie cutter action film and then throw a few nods in. I'm sick of the nods. It wasn't even a particularly effective or relevant no. nod. It, it, I think it highlights how little they cared about making anything approaching a Max Payne film. And that's really you don't, like, you don't we gotta do this, shove it in there. You don't want the shotgun that close to your head. When you're pulling... The, Not ideally. Whatever. Whatever. Um, after what feels like an eternity of nothing happening, uh, Lupino attacks Max and they fight. And it doesn't last long because Lupino's beating the ever-loving shit out of Max. Uh, he's about to win when BB appears in a doorway and just shoots him dead. Just like... Just unceremoniously shoots him. It turns out... You know, BB's not really there to rescue Max, so so much as, like, tie up loose ends, just as he'd done with Michelle when she accidentally happened upon the Valkyrie project. <sighs> oh, yeah, he's the bad guy, lo and behold, revelation. Now, the plans for Max to be waded and tossed into the river with vials of Valkyrie to make it appear like a legit suicide and he'd become a junkie. Uh, but Max gets free and jumps in of his own volition. And BB yeah. figures Max will freeze and leaves, you know, typical supervillain thing. Uh, but Max instead imagines himself walking through his house and finding his dead family alive again, and his wife tells him, not yet, which snaps him out of it, and he swims for shore. And it pisses me off that she says the same thing to cause him to go back towards life that Natasha says when she's getting killed. Because mm -hmm. then it seems to set it up like it's, there's some thematic connection, and there's fucking not. No, it is just the... the most basic, low-effort attempt to falsify a sense of thematic connection. Go away from the light. For fuck's sake, go away from the light. That's all it needed. Yeah. Uh, so, for reasons now not totally clear to me, he is cold and laying on the bank of the river, and so he takes the drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 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 it makes sense. Does it? Does that make no, sense? It's legit. He was in the water, and then he had some drugs. Jeez. Like, we've all done that. So he limps his ass back to the city. I guess the drugs make him not feel the cold. Yeah, or... but it makes you feel invincible, doesn't it? I, I so guess. He ain't going to have the shivers when he's trying to aim his gun. Lieutenant Ludacris has called in the FBI uh, to go to the Umbrella Corporation, so BB decides to run 
Uh, in the parking garage, Max is already waiting for him, bug-eyed and hopped up on goofballs. So BB retreats to the elevator and calls the CEO for a helicopter off the roof. Well, yep. again, just a dizzying action sequence that that had no emotional impact on me because it was just too I have, flashy for its own good. I've given it all the attention it merited. Yeah. In this description, um, Max appears to take the stairs, shooting everyone in his path. Uh, the hallucinations get to be a bit much at one point, and uh, so Max is, you know, kind of on his knees, like, oh, my head, whatever. The security guy's about to get the jump on him, but Ma- but Mona's there. Yay. Saves him, and he gets moving again, and BB gets to the roof. There's no helicopter, and he's had his lackey set these C4 charges to stop Max from getting up there, but that guy gets interrupted by Mona, who shoots him, and then the cops arrive in the scene at the Umbrella Corporation for, like, the second time today, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Yeah. And, and Max gets to BB's office and has another hallucination fit. But thankfully, the, the dying lackey who set up the bombs decides to set them off for reasons, I guess, to prevent Max Again, from getting to BB. It was something to have happen. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But that, and so that, that, that hallucination gets shattered along with the window in BB's office. Not a bad effect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you were right. There, there were some good visual effects in the film. Yeah, uh, and uh, so yeah, that that reverie's broken, and Max goes up to the roof and corners BB, and BB shoots at Max, and I guess hits him a few times, but Max is you know on drugs, so he's invincible. Whatever. Um, Max kind of ceremoniously, unceremoniously shoots BB in the chest. Like they. It, it, they, <laughs> they play this up. They drag this out. You know, this this pan. It's supposed to be this big dramatic moment, but it's also supposed to. Also, it's also like the the sense that they're trying to give across is just like, all right, I'm done. I'm doing my thing, and that's all that matters. So why did they make it 90 seconds or however fucking long it takes for them to pan around the camera and show us how much snow is collected on the barrel while he has stood there waiting to do this shooting that's being played up and is not 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 supposed to be played up. Fuck you. Fuck you. And then he moves to the edge of the roof to have another reverie about his wife and child where she once again rejects him. And the police secure the scene and you roll the fucking credits. But no, no. Now you gotta stick around until the after credits. Where Max goes back to his local bar. And Mona's waiting there for him with a newspaper. With a photo of the Umbrella CEO. And they exchange knowing looks. And I think, I think the, what they're communicating between themselves is, we're never doing this again. <laughs> I, think, I think that's what, like... The characters are, are saying to themselves, oh yeah, we're going to go do this again. But the actors, the actors are also looking in each other's eyes and saying, yeah, we're never doing this again. Yeah. I got my money. And that's Max Payne. I'm out. That's Max Payne. All right. Well, we'll be back with our final thoughts in a moment. So Conrad, did you like Max Payne or not? It's fine. It's yeah, yeah. The, the, I mean, as a fan of Max Payne, there's not a lot there for me. Um, and I, you know, if you're making a movie based on a property, I just don't think 
I don't think there's a lot there, period. No, it's it it's visually good looking. It has ostensibly a good cast. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Decent cast, uh, great set design, good visuals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's got a budget and it's it's put to solid use. It's it's it is a a, a serviceable action film. Yeah. Uh, and that is the director John Moore's stock and trade. Mm-hmm. He makes thrillers and action films that get mediocre reviews but make bank. That's his role in life. Yep. He. He will produce just, you know. He's the guy behind the unnecessary remake of The Omen. Yeah, Yeah. he did that. He did A Good Day to Die Hard. (sighs) Um, Yeah, but but these films make money. They do. He he knows how to throw in a lot of guns, an explosion or two. The rest is all details, and then the money happens. And in that regard, I mean, Max Payne as a... As a product, it's a very successful product. Yeah. It, 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 it achieved its goals perfectly. As a Max Payne adaptation, it stinks. As a movie I would recommend anybody watch, it isn't. No, I would find something better to, use with, to do with my yeah. time. You can find so much better action nonsense out there than this. You, this is watch this is a schlock action film without the fun schlock. Watch Sin City. If you yes. want this. Just watch Sin City. Again. Yeah, that'll that'll get you filled up. Yeah. That'll that'll do you. Uh, Ma- Max Payne is I mean like I watched it I mean almost two hours ago. Mm-hmm. And I barely remember anything I saw. Yeah. And it was struggling to, you know, retain my attention while it was on. So, nah. Nah. No, no. What are we doing next time, Jim? Uh, well. Well. I figured since we just watched Max Payne, which was not a great film, not a, not a particularly good film in my opinion, rather middling, rather mediocre, uh, I figured we'd up the ante a little bit and get something a little more exciting, a little more... Uh, celebrated, I feel. Uh, something that I think we're going to have a great time with. And that movie is the Angry Birds movie! Are, are we sure we're going to have a great time with this? No, no, we're probably going to have the worst time of our fucking lives. <laughs> I know, I don't, I, don't, I don't actually know. I never checked out the critical reception Not, or, yeah. or even what people... I never saw anyone say anything on my social media about it. That, I don't think anyone I know ever bothered to go see it. Um, uh, yeah. So I don't know how, it, how it's perceived. I knew, I knew it was going to be something that we would be doing. Yes. When it was in theatres. Yes. And so I was like, eh, all right. It's, it's like uh, Assassin's Creed that came out over Christmas. I'm oh, like, oh. I saw the trailers and I'm like, ah, shit. I mean, that's good. That's going to have to get done. So that's pretty much what we're doing with Angry Birds is I just want to get it. It's what I did with Max Payne as well. I just, I want to get it crossed off the list. (laughs) Well, and and I like, I like doing these um, recent ones as close to when they become digitally available as possible too. I think it's. Yeah. 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 Just as, as close as it is to when everyone can. Feel it's uh, relevant. Yeah. Still relevant. But you don't have to go to the theatre to see it. Like, it's conceivably attainable by anyone who listens. Yeah. Uh, if they're into li- uh, watching the film first. Uh, so, Angry Birds, 
you know, you can get it on, I think it's on Netflix right now, actually. Uh, so you can uh, check it out there. Um, it's, it's certainly on other streaming services. So that's what we'll be doing. Maybe it'll be all right. I don't know. I, I literally know nothing about it other than the sheer concept makes me cringe. So that'll be it. Thank you, as always, for listening. And thank you, Conrad, for joining me. And producing, despite the, the source material, uh, a, a show that I thought was very, very fun today. Yeah, I had a good time with it. I, I, yeah. I, we always seem to have a, a pretty good time. We do. Yeah. We do. We, we, we get out of some scrapes. Uh, if you'd like to listen to more of our fucking voices, you can check us out at Fist Shark Marketing, which is a, uh, an improv comedy podcast that we do together. Uh, you can see that at fistshark.com and iTunes and uh, Amazon and you know all the places where you can get your podcasts. Uh, otherwise, I think that's about it. Oh, follow with Conrad on Twitter, at Conrad Zimmerman, all one word as well. And I know... Look at my website. Yeah, the, the, uh, that, that, that'll, yeah, the Jimquisition. Yeah. Go to the Jimquisition. Gym- maybe, maybe read something for once. Yeah, maybe in, you know? in your for once in your stupid life. Is that like, so hard? Actually, so hard to read something? Yeah, I did a Gravity Rush review today. You put a lot of effort so, into that Gravity Rush review. Uh, yeah, modicum of effort. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.